0: I'm Dapper Dan Austin and I'm the founder and editor of AmazingSpiderTalk.com.
2: And I'm the mischievous Mark Chinacchio, the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog and author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die.
0: Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us for a special review roundup episode of the all-new Amazing Spider-Talk podcast. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture.
2: Yes, Dan, today we're going to be rounding up our Patreon reviews of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, Number 6 and 7, also known as Legacy Numbers 807 and 808, the first stories featuring a creative team between Nick Spencer and Humberto Ramos. We originally recorded these conversations back when these issues were first released for our Patreon audience, so haha, <laughs> exclusive content.
0: Yes, and on that note, remember, this episode wouldn't be possible without support from our wonderful Patreon subscribers, whose patronage allows us to assemble the guests we have on the show and do all of our research. And if you enjoyed the show and you want to help us to continue while getting amazing bonus content like the very reviews you're about to hear, which, like Mark said, were originally released only to our Patreon subscribers... Go to our show notes and check out our Patreon page and consider joining our team.
2: So, a special thank you to our new patrons in this episode, starting with Michelle Potter, Levi Hunt, and Kevin Brown.
0: Awesome. Well, let's get right to it, Mark. We hope you all at home enjoy our review of Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 5, Number 6. What's new?
2: But Dan, we are also here to talk about Amazing Spider-Man number six, aka Legacy issue number eight hundred seven. Are we going to keep issuing, uh, introducing these as dual numbering, Dan? Because I'm already getting tired of it.
0: <laughs> that one-off thing is just enough to throw me off every time. I, you know, I always have to double check in my notes. But yeah, it is a little weird. They should just do number ones and then go back to the legacy. I don't know. You know what? It, I'm fine with it. Best of both worlds. We'll address it how we address it, I guess.
2: There we go. <laughs> anyway, but uh, we are we are continuing with Nick Spencer. However, uh, this is not Ryan Otley on pencils. It's our old friend Umberto Ramos who's back, and also there's a little little guest art uh, in the middle of the book, which we'll get to in more specifics later. But they're not listed on the front of the book, so um, you know we'll, we'll we'll save that surprise for later, Dan. You know, kind of after this first arc that was. Um, a little up and down as we've talked about on the show, Dan. Um, I, I we, we I feel like we get I, I guess we can't technically call it a standalone because it is a to be continued, but this truly feels is like a very focused kind of short diversion of a story before we kind of pick back up into our next main arc and we even get some of those ideas introduced here but I mean what we're really dealing with in this issue is is kind of one of the big 800 pound gorillas that's been in the room since uh, this run started really since the free comic book day went off which is Peter and Randy Robertson's new roommate none other than Fred Myers aka Boomerang and uh, I feel kind of exploring that relationship paid some fun dividends in this issue right
0: yeah i think this is one of the more fun issues of amazing spider-man we've gotten in quite a while i mean this book has been funny definitely for the first five issues but i thought this one really took it to another level um and and i i just thought the characters really came to life here like everybody was written so wonderfully these are characters i really want to read and You know, maybe the tone isn't exactly what we expect from a normal Amazing Spider-Man issue. It's more of kind of jokey meta humor and, uh, you know, kind of like hijinks with, you know, B-listers. There's very little Spider-Man actually in this book. I think it's maybe like a panel or two that Spider-Man shows up. But I didn't mind for a minute that there was nobody getting punched. You know, like this. this is a world that I just enjoyed spending time with.
2: It's like... Nick Spencer writes Boomerang so well, you know he should really do a book about that character, right? Dan? <laughs> I mean, but seriously, I mean it's it's you know of all the characters in the world to really have a mastery of, and I mean maybe is it that he truly is it that he writes Boomerang so well, or that you know he reinvented him into this character that is interesting to read about, and and thereby he's just going back to that well. But I feel like that's what really makes this issue sing is it's it's truly a throwback. Uh, I mean, and we get one even in the most literal of ways to Superior Foes of Spider-Man that just, you know, it would be as if Superior Foes had a little more Spider-Man slash Peter Parker in it, uh, which is kind of what this issue was. And, you know, Dan, we've been no, um, we have not been shy about the fact that Superior Foes, I mean, it's still probably one of my favorite books of the last 10 years, I'd say. And this is why it's just, it's just kind of dry and funny and weird and you know like it was a book about severed heads and um you know victor von doom quoting titanic and um we didn't quite get anything that off the charts but um you know certainly trivia contests and a bar of supervillains and some other random things throughout this issue i mean it's 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 kind of captured that essence right
0: Well, you know, I have a question uh, just about that, Mark. You know, like we're going to get into specifics with this this issue, but, you know, this does really rely on kind of a, a certain amount of knowledge, I would say, of a couple of books. I mean, we get this kind of recap that goes over Secret Empire and Boomerang's role in that, which I had kind of forgotten about a little bit. But a lot of this is kind of built around superior foes, which famously did not sell particularly well. Um, And was, you know, beloved by, you know, a a small group of people that actually read it. You know, for me, reading this issue, I was like, this is what I wanted issue two of this book to be, whether I knew it or not. Because it followed up on, I think, one of the threads that was the most interesting. Do you suspect that they didn't go right into this because it is a bit more of a niche story than perhaps the kind of more bombastic, larger-than-life one that we uh, got in the first arc? I
2: definitely agree with that. I mean, you know, I I, I find it, I mean, there are two things that you said there that are interesting in terms of things that we revisited here. I mean, the first being, like you said, Secret Empire. And full disclosure, per Dan's urging, I finally read the Secret Empire miniseries and really enjoyed it, despite the fact that I know that it was controversial to many people. Um, I finally read it after kind of... Not that I was not interested. I just didn't get around to it and then, like, heard some of the the noise around it and I avoided it. Um, but, you know, enough time has passed. I just decided to dive in and really liked it. I, I, I did find it interesting and in kind of telling that Spencer didn't immediately go back to that well. And I don't know if it was mainly because he just didn't feel like dealing with the Secret Empire drama again. Or he just was like, you know what, let me let me just not go to that immediately because that's what everyone is just associating me with right now and i don't want to just be the secret empire guy so i mean we we get that here and then like you said superior foes it it still amazes me (laughs) that um that book just was not popular (laughs) because i love it so much and you love it so much when i talk about it like i'll talk about it with spider-man people and then, like, as I'm talking about it, I realize, oh, wow, they didn't read this book. And then, <laughs> and it kind of kills me because I'm like, how could you have not read this book? It was such a great book. And, and like, yeah, like, this is – I would have loved to see this early, but you're right. Like, to, to go to this well so early could have, like, completely derailed Amazing Spider-Man because, like, it came off this, like, mega popular run – under Dan Slot, where it was one of the be- Marvel's best-selling books and to like immediately go to a new writer who then started to like you know reference a story that sold about 15,000 copies a month it, it would have been weird right
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely so we'll revisit all that in a second and the details of that let's go to the beginning of the story where we get another one of these kind of like uh, like mini vignette like, you know, stories about some larger threat that's coming down the pike for Spider-Man. And most particularly, we get this story with the Vulture, who seems to be kind of going after a guy who has, re- like, stolen from him, who was, like, a former, I guess, like, employee of his. And then we've right. got, you know, Taskmaster and Black Ant who kind of interlope here and take down the Vulture per the request of their boss, who we learned... In last issue is Craven, so there seems to be some kind of a larger villain roundup going on in regards to Craven. What did you think about this opening scene? Yeah, it was it was
2: a little uh, unnerving. Are we are we to believe that Vulture is dead or seriously injured here? What's going on?
0: I figured he was just captured.
2: Okay, because I mean, you know, he crashed pretty hard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I guess old man bones are pretty strong. I don't I don't know. I, yeah, no,
2: no, I, I, but I did have a moment of like, wow, did Spencer just kill the Vulture? Like, I mean, <laughs>
0: is Adrian Toomes <laughs> dead? It would certainly have more fanfare to it than the death of Electro.
2: That is very true.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's good. Of course, Vulture is sporting
2: the, the Mysterio-esque helmet here, which is uh, always a good time. I guess that's from, what, the Zarsky run with um, the, um, the Tinkerer put him in that? Is that what's going on here? I'm trying to remember...
0: It it's yeah it's from issue four of that run but like kind of an obscure thing I mean I guess we'll never know how he cured his blindness from Superior. That's well hey, <laughs> <laughs> the lizard is no longer a brain monster and the vulture's b- blindness is cured.
2: I mean if we're being completely realistic here I mean completely real about this whole thing Dan I mean we never really I mean boomerang got beaten pretty badly in superior number one and he was in the raft and he kind of got out for superior foes and we really never got much explanation for that i'm just saying (laughs) yeah that's true that's
0: true it's comics everyone I would say, it's
2: comics. <laughs>
1: so Vulture can
2: see, but maybe he wish he doesn't right now because he hit the ground pretty hard. Hey, I was kind of defending Taskmaster and Black Ant, maybe because more so Taskmaster. I have a soft spot for him as a character. I like seeing him in comics a lot. But hey, we're revisiting them. It's kind of making that their initial appearance in this series make sense and kind of pay off a little bit. So I'm all about it. Yeah, I'm curious to see where we're actually going with this Craven thing. I mean... It wasn't so long ago, where you know, speaking to Superior, where I, I guess it was in Superior Team Up or one of those B books, where Otto as Spider Man was rounding up the Sinister Six and to kind of go at it again and uh, under his control. And I'm kind of curious if that's if we're going to get something like that here. If if Vulture is the first victim, I don't know. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I, th- I was thinking something like that. I mean, Craven is famously a hunter, although he's always kind of taken the hunt. Um, into his own hands, you know what I mean. So, like, this seems kind of strange for him, but I'm curious to hear what his motivations are. You know, uh, I, I can't not think that about Craven being a weird immortal who can only be killed by Spider-Man now, and whether or not any other writer will ever take up that kind of idea. Um, so there's a lot of, kind of interest in my regard around Craven and his current status quo. But yeah, I mean, for me, this intro worked in a way that the other intros we've been getting haven't. Mainly because right. we have a context for this. Like, we know that Craven's behind it. We know the motivations. It was kind of funny and visually interesting with the whole, like, symbiote barbecue stain. Like, that definitely got me laughing. And there were actual stakes <laughs> here. I mean... Like, a guy dies in this. So, like, the threat is very much real, even if we've seen Spider-Man kind of dispatch of Taskmaster and Black Ant in previous issues. So, you know, there's some larger scheme afoot. Maybe there's too many schemes afoot in this book, but maybe they'll also dovetail into each other. I I thought this one was interesting. Uh, So it gets a thumbs up from me. Although it's a lot of pages to spend on this. We spent four pages on this.
2: Although, again, it's like, you know, it's also... To, to kind of play off of Craven's character We, you know, when we're Dealing with Adrian Tombs, it's bigger It's a bigger game here You know, these other vignettes That we were getting, I mean, they were just kind of like These random faceless poachers And stuff, and like, who cares, right? Like, it's like, who cares that he's going after These guys, but, you know, now it's the Vulture, like you said, it's still kind of a Faceless guy, or, or an anonymous guy That gets that gets in this issue But it, it's not, like The fact that He's taking down the vulture the way he does with such efficiency that that raises the threat level, like you said, and gives it more stakes. So um I guess nowhere to go but up here unless you're the vulture and you're going down.
0: We've, we then moved into a scene that's basically what we got on the cover of the issue, which I quite like this cover. I thought it was a lot of fun, Um, which is the date night between Peter and MJ getting interrupted by the boomerang. And, you know, I feel like a broken record here, Mark, but I'm bored with this MJ relationship already. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's, it's the monkey's
2: paw, Dan. I mean, people wanted it back. This is what you're getting. (laughs) Just be careful what you wish for, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, Peter's making out with MJ, which fine, you know, but if that wasn't the only character beat that we ever got between the two of them, I mean, I get it when you've just recently fallen in love, it tends to be a bit of a carnal affair. But, like, I want this character to come back in an interesting way, involved with the plot. She's kind of quickly pushed out here um, and just kind of served as kind of like a sounding board. Although another thing about the scene that I wanted to kind of highlight again that I had made a comment about in other issues is that Peter remains kind of an omniscient narrator here. Like, he's aware of these, what these villains are doing. Like, here he comments that, you know, he should probably not be kissing MJ and should be dealing with these other bad guys and what's going on with them. And I f- continue to find this very strange from like a writing perspective. Like, are are we to literally think that Peter knows about this stuff? I, I, I assume not.
2: Yeah, I, I, I don't think I took it as literally as you might have. I mean, I, I, I think it was more just kind of the idea that he knows there's always something going on that he needs to be addressing, and and obviously that's less a concern for him when he is not uh, romantically intertwined with somebody, and he's just feeling the usual pangs of guilt about that. I don't I don't think he specifically knew what was going on pages before we saw him making out.
0: Is he reading this comic too? There you go. I mean, later in the issue might confirm that he is reading the comic. I – that's true because
2: <laughs> um, I don't even think I remember that many details about my life, my own <laughs> life. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. I mean it, it, the way it's written makes him appear omniscient but I I, I just give me, I guess – I don't want to say benefit of the doubt but like I'm, I'm viewing it more through the traditional lens of Peter just kind of always being aware of the fact that if it's not – craven and taskmaster and black ant it's something else you know and 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 he just knows there's something else going on but but he's just going to feel bad about it because he's doing something that may not be the best use of his power in terms of responsibility so that's
0: all that's totally fair i think that's a fair reading but yeah fred
2: Myers, man very creepy (laughs) (laughs) like like this is what we got now (laughs) he's just sitting there staring at people making out and my god terrifying
0: i loved every line that he said in this book i mean spencer obviously really gets the character and like you said early probably because he reinvented him like this is might as well be spencer's creation just of the boomerang like motif yeah and, and and even then it's not well not immediately it 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 doesn't
2: necessarily have to read like superior foes reads for the character still to be great like i still feel like in its own weird way there is something more mainstream about this version of boomerang in amazing spider-man versus boomerang and superior foes like i i i you know and and you know we we were getting this recap on all the secret empire stuff and and even after reading the the mini, it, that all escaped me greatly until I reread this, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's right, I guess." You know, I, he's truly Nick's baby, I guess. <laughs> 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 then he's in this other book. I also kind of like that they they kind of finally just in some summary reminded everyone during Secret Empire that Spider-Man was like in Europe at the time. Like I think you and I were talking a little bit about that recently. It just – it needed to be said again because it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Whenever when Hydra took over America – oh, wait, no. Peter was in Europe, so he did not.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Plus we get uh, you know like a bit of a longer recap on like why Peter isn't just flat out arresting him straight away. You know, like Fred Myers as the boomerang was forgiven for all of his crimes and even the kingpin isn't going after him. So that's a bit of information we didn't have before, which kind of goes a long way to like – making you feel a little bit better about what Peter is doing by living with this guy and not turning him in right away.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But then, you know, from this kind of creepy little reestablishment and, and and recap scene, we we talked a lot, especially the first issue of this reboot about surprises in comics and how hard it is to surprise people. And, and I mean, I don't know if this surprise in Amazing Spider-Man number six is on the level of, Peter and MJ reconciling. But just in terms of, like, as a fan, legitimate, like, surprises that I've had reading comics, I mean, few surpass just, just how taken aback in a good way I was by seeing the return of Steve Lieber here for a few pages to just totally get at, uh, just recreate the superior foes motif, showing the gang back together. I mean, it was just... Perfect. I, I I like like reading these. Reading this whole thing was, again reminded me of the series that I still don't realize people didn't read, except for like nuts like us. And it just <laughs> pains me, Dan. It pains me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I loved seeing them back again. It was kind of spoiled for me online, but still, it was you know just seeing the pencils in the book was enough of a a thrill. I love that in the teaser for the next issue, they they tease that the team might be coming back again, but they won't tell us. So, you know, I expect to see the this style reappear and uh, I couldn't be more thrilled about it. Uh, I love these characters and I love, spe- uh, you know, Nick Spencer and Steve Lieber's interpretations of them. So we're truly getting kind of like the best world here in, in that regard. And it immediately, like, you know, tonally just took me right back to that series. Like, it felt like missing pages from that book. Even though... The book still kind
2: of confuses us with some of its characterization, i.e. Shocker, <laughs>
0: right? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I mean like it was the big thing with Shocker being a coward, which I don't think – I think even our first review of the first issue of that book, I flagged that as something that kind of bugged me, that he was suddenly – had this kind of cowardice placed upon him, which by the end of the series I was like totally OK with. But the other thing now that it's like th- – that series seems really canon, having it appear here in this book because – I don't know if you remember, but that series ended with Fred Myers, you know, telling Peter in a bar about all these stories. And like there was the implication that he might have been lying about a lot of it and that it could have all been made up and none of it could happen. And now they make direct reference to it as happening. So like Superior Foes is now canon, whether or not that means the Shocker is the head of the Magia uh, or not. Um, I mean, I certainly hope so, but like here's like, now you get to questions like shocker was made into a person of color in, uh, superior foes, but he has never been that in, uh, you know, the comics before, like even as, you know, shortly ago as spider Island, you know, he's a white guy when he tears his mask off when he's turning into a spider, you know, uh, like that doesn't bother me, but I, I've, I've rarely experienced that within the pages of a comic. That a character, like, has their skin color changed um, without kind of acknowledging it. Right.
2: Well, maybe it's just like a Nick Fury Jr. situation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's like a different dude now.
2: Yeah, exactly <laughs> Well, you know, we, we, we Well, I no, I can't even say Because of the movie, because Superior Foes Was before the movie, so I don't know I got nothing
0: <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know, it's just curious to me You know, uh, what, maybe they didn't even Notice that the change happened no, Like, how often do you see the Shocker Without his mask on?
2: That's true but I was just gonna say it, it, again, it, it, it was just a surprise. And like as I'm reading it, I'm I'm almost not believing it initially. Like, oh my goodness, like is this Lieber? Like, did they get Lieber back for this? And and it was just it was just a great great way to integrate that and and to kind of give that series the tip of the hat that it needed, you know?
0: Yeah, and we find out that Boomerang seems to have this secret plan that's well known amongst the foes, that he's going to bring down Spider-Man once and for all, which we get also mentioned, to with the Kingpin. Later in this issue, when he's in the bathroom talking to the Kingpin, he seems to want to sell him some kind of information while also kind of keeping his name clean. Mar- Mark, I don't think that he's trying to sell Spider-Man's secret identity. To me, that seems like a little too obvious and not something that Fred Meyer seems to know based on the direction where this series goes. Do you have any idea about like what you think the boomerang might have to sell to the Kingpin? I'm going to wager.
2: It's something kind of silly and stupid.
0: <laughs>
2: so no, I'm not going to guess. Cause I don't think it's anything as tangible as what you're like, something like an identity or something, you know?
0: Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, we'll, we're going to find out, I'm guessing in the next few issues as this boomerang thing continues but I mean it definitely uh like sent red flags up to me like okay are we gonna elevate the boomerang a step further is he gonna really have some real juicy details that could compromise spider-man in some way that would be interesting to me if you know are we are we watching boomerang slowly progress to an a-lister in spider-man's uh uh villain roster Yeah, I'm not ready to go there yet. (laughs) (laughs) So we move on to, you know, Spider-Man got to see all this go down. So, of course, his red flag was raised, you know, about Boomerang. So he's like, I got to act on this now because something is, you know, seems to be coming down the pike. So he kind of is complaining to Randy and, uh, you know, Fred kind of overhears it and they're talking and Fred discovers that Peter is a foremost expert on Spider-Man. Because of, you know, something that I think rarely gets mentioned in this, in this series is uh, Amazing Spider-Man 304's revelation that Peter has written a book called Webbs. Mark, what is Webbs?
2: Well, Webbs, of course, it's, it's from the Todd McFarlane, David Michelinie run. It, it was uh, Peter, Peter's photojournalistic book about his time with Spider-Man. Uh, You know, Peter took the book on tour. I mean, this was like, oh, God, about six issues worth of story, I would say, at some point in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. And, um, yeah, we kind of forget about the fact that Peter wrote a book. (laughs) (laughs) You know, also, like, one of the, like, the many times I feel like the character, like, unnecessarily pointed out the relationship between Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Like, you know, do you necessarily want to, like bring it to everyone's attention, like, to villains and stuff like that. Like, oh, yeah, this guy takes a lot of pictures of this guy. That's a little strange, right?
1: <laughs>
0: right. This, this book would not – this whole issue would not fit in the Steve Dicko run of Spider-Man where he's constantly fretting about, like, doing anything pro-Spider-Man might tip people off to so that he's Spider-Man. Like, in this book, right. he literally walks into a bar full of his enemies – as a pretty well-known like media figure that had Spider-Man as his bodyguard, and then Ace's a you know a quiz on on Spider-Man. I mean, talk about drawing attention to yourself. Uh, you know, this is like just fully moving past Peter being worried about people thinking that he's Spider-Man. You know, in in some regard
2: yeah absolutely but um in the meantime it definitely seems like you know when we interviewed nick spencer for our 200th episode dan he talked about how he basically like sat down with all of the issues of spider-man and just crashed through them it certainly sounds like he's trying to uh to i don't want to say name drop but show off a little bit about all of his deep cuts right i mean is this is this a good thing you think for the book i mean we used to kind of be of two minds of it when dan slot was working in these obscure references i mean now i feel like these issues are just getting jam-packed with them
0: yeah it's an interesting question i'd be curious to see what the average person reading this that doesn't know about all this stuff feels i mean in some ways i feel like it draws people to podcasts like ours to kind of you know do those little like you know editor's notes which i've been doing on twitter you know but I, i actually think That these are okay because the story's not really based around them. Like, if you have an understanding that Peter took photos of Spider-Man, which just about everybody does, you get the idea. Like, of course he knows Spider-Man really well. And he publicly knows Spider-Man really well. Like, I don't think that it's ever gone into an era where it's, like, so obscure that it's detracting from what the story is. It's kind of, you know, expecting readers to do the thing that most readers do when they read comics – or if you're a long-time person reading comics, which is like, if you don't know it, you just kind of accept it and move, and move on. You know, as so long as it doesn't draw from some real relative obscurity. Like if you were to bring back Spider-Side, say, you know, and make him the main villain of some major arc or something like that. Like, uh, to me, these are kind of innocuous and they're kind of saying, if you want to learn more, go look this up. Uh, but otherwise, you know, like, you get the gist of it.
2: Absolutely. Well, Dan, do we want to talk about the bar scene?
0: Yeah, let's go straight to the bar scene. So, you know, obviously, uh, the next step of this is that Fred Myers, a.k.a. Boomerang, dresses up as Boomerang and takes his new roommate, Peter Parker, to the bar with no name, which is a bar populated with obscure D list villains having drinks. <laughs> Um, it first started um, in Captain America, the issues with the Scourge, the like, Justice is Served story arc. Um, and it yes. was in Ohio, of all places, before this bar kind of relocated to Manhattan um, in various different locations. How many times has this place been bombed out? I can't say. <laughs> um, there's like at least a half dozen issues of Amazing Spider-Man where this bar is kind of like intruded upon, a.k.a. destroyed by various people. There was that one villain that kind of, like, ran it for a little while. What was his name? Like, the 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 better? The gambler? The
2: Oh, man. You're you're testing me now. I don't know. I mean, didn't it
0: get wrecked in uh, Venom Inc?
2: Or am I confusing that?
0: Maybe. But there was definitely that, like, final issue, issues of, like, Brand New Day where... Like, all of the villains in that bar kind of ran amok after Spider-Man. Right. Yeah, it's it's reappeared, I think, during the Brand New Day era is when it kind of really integrated itself into Spider-Man lore. Again, it was just a it, a totally fun random
2: scene, uh, complete with, with a trivia night. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this one, like, when I read this trivia night, I was like, is this for just Mark and I? Like, like it felt like a real like, uh, like it was handing us like the keys for a second there. Like, let's see how obscure your knowledge gets. And you know that interview we did with Nick Spencer where he said he did, you know, he's been quizzed by people that come up to him because they heard that he reread all the issues. To me, that seems to have like kind of directly inspired this moment.
2: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I mean, we, we even got Spider Mobile. I, I mean, like there was stuff they were doing in there as it's like unraveling. I'm like. Wait, what was that? I, like, it was catching me. It was it was going so deep, it was catching me off guard. And normally I'm, like, you know, pretty on par when it comes to this kind <laughs> of stuff. But it was intimidating in a lot of ways. Like, holy crap. They, they Like, there is a mastery of, of, of minutiae here that I didn't think was possible.
0: You mean you didn't immediately know Professor Vasquez with the Erskine papers? Yeah, no, I didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that Spectacular Spider-Man 3 – or uh, number 10 – For anybody that uh, is keeping up. That's the one with the white tiger. Yeah. Look at this guy. You know, so speaking of, you know, Spider-Man trivia, you know, we actually uh, have a new sponsor for our show uh, this week. So we're going to go to commercial break and we'll, we'll be right back.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Spider Jeopardy, where this week, we're joined by a special cast of D-list characters from Spider-Man's history. Remember, this week, they're all competing for a chance to own a piece of Spider-Man history. Yes, the winner will be taking home the machine that Barker the Dog was building during Paul Jenkins' run, and will be tipped off to the secret identity behind The Menace of Facade. Two mysteries finally brought to a close for one of these d characters. Let's see how they're doing in the game. First up, we've got Carrion, who isn't looking particularly hot right now. And I'm not talking about his score. Carrion, you're looking ill. Is everything okay? I cannot be harmed.
2: I am beyond death, beyond pain.
1: Pain Pain is for the living, living. and And I am carrying on the unliving clown of Miles Warren. All right, I always thought you were a genetic virus, but who knows? Either way, you've got negative three hundred spider bucks, and you're in last place. Let's move on. Next up is our special guest, the Lonesome Pincus, coming in second with a negative one hundred and ten spider bucks. Lonesome. How the heck did you find yourself here amongst this company?
0: Yeah, hello to all you
2: cowboys and cow ladies and owl hoots and things that are watching at
1: home. Just you
2: know this, I'm always sure to mind my P's and Q's, but listen, young fella, accidents will happen. I think that's how cow folk like myself finds myself next to an unliving clone like this one over here. Patients. Delph-
1: oh, Death. Delph-
2: um, um. How about a little song from the prairie, maybe, to calm you all down? I'm going to have
1: to cut you off there, lonesome.
2: Afraid to step into a room and find what isn't there.
1: Afraid to touch
2: some lonely thing
1: left All right, now, I, I, I'm a little reluctant to reintroduce our current reigning champion and equally skeptical of the person who booked him for our show. Please welcome back... The reanimated Nazi skeleton made entirely of bees, swarm. Yes, it is I Swarm here to go step all over my pitiful competition!
2: Some sort of festering virus of a man, another one's named Carrion. The third right will be born again out of the ashes of Spider Jeopardy! sparring like the Queen Bee with the added firepower of a dog-built machine, a facade! and the full might of my honey-crazed brethren who've long lusted after the sweet nectar of our homeland.
1: Yes, well, welcome back. Since you are in the lead with 200 Spider-Bucks, you can choose the category. The Hive has consulted, and we choose Daily Bugle. Headlines for 400. Not sure why we include this category, but here's your clue. Spider-Man, Threat or Menace? Yes, Swarm with the buzzer. What is? Fake news. I am the winner! The third Reich will
2: rise again! Amazing Spider-Talk was suffer! They cannot get rid of Swarm!
1: I'm coming for you, Amazing Spider-Talk! You have not seen the last of me! Thank you for joining us for Spider Jeopardy! Now back to your regularly scheduled program.
2: Dan that was kind of scary I mean you know Is that the best we could do for
0: Sponsors I thought Why aren't we an ad free show Dan Well Patreon Subscribers you can up your donations And cancel Spider Jeopardy If you truly want to I think they're probably going to want More Spider Jeopardy now <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that was fun, I guess. Um, so let's talk about this scene with the actual Spider-Man trivia night uh, hosted by Answer and this sort of knock off the living brain. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, I, I, I did like imitation living brain. Living brain has totally had a second life over the last five or six years, hasn't he?
0: I mean enough that we're getting an imitation living brain, right? you know? like, Enough that you can bring him back and have to worry. Will people worry about the continuity of the living brain?
2: But I mean, this, like I said, this is fun stuff. I mean, it's it's totally irreverent and deep cut and meant to be. I mean, I'm not saying that. I, I do think there's some rel- there's some. Correctness and thinking that Spencer's kind of trying to flex his muscle a little bit. I mean, he admitted again in our interview, like he he could not beat Dan Slot in an actual contest of Spider Jeopardy. I think that's fair, but he does have a tough act to follow in that regard. And I think this is kind of him flexing his muscle a little bit, and and, and it's impressive. It's 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 you know he he's reaching deep, and I don't feel he's just like doing this completely out of context. He's he's just it's just he's demonstrating that. He's serious about everything having to do with this character right now. and But he did it in a very fun and kind of quirky way, which I enjoyed.
0: I mean, it's really specific. I mean, it's like hyper-focused to detail. I mean, the one that really stood out to me is that the host answer, you know, he suggests that the trivia night is hosted by Kingsley Limited. And, like, the reason that that's so crazy is that it was all the way back in Superior Spider-Man 26 that Kingsley gave a just random stranger the costume for the answer. Because that character had kind of like, I guess, lost his corporeal form, if, if you will. And so this is just a guy in a Kingsley costume, right? So that he says that is acknowledging that this is both a knockoff version of the living brain and answer, um, and i thought that's an incredible level of detail that wasn't necessary and it, and it doesn't distract from the plot nobody's going out of their way to be like oh by the way did you notice that kingsley you know da, 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 it's just a little detail but for someone who's kind of got their mind to those details it goes a long way i i felt like meanwhile like what's your what's your take on
2: peter's kind of turn in this ish in this situation here because in one breath you know we were saying earlier the the steve dicko you know early spider-man fan in me is like oh there's no way in hell peter would ever expose himself and like toe the line so dangerously about his his knowledge of all things spider-man and yet at the same token the character seems to be experiencing like this legitimate moment of joy and it's like a release for this character to be able to do this and kind of be rewarded as such for it and celebrated that you kind of like feel for him in a weird way right
0: (laughs) Yeah, I feel exactly the same way um, about that. Like, I think last episode we talked about this kind of – I put my foot down saying maybe this is Spencer expressing his, you know, motto for his own series that Spider-Man should have fun while, you know, stopping crimes. And that seems to be carrying through in this issue. And I guess the other thing for me is that, like – That since these are D-listers, their humanity has kind of always been stressed. I think that's the thing we like about the D-list villains is that they are kind of losers. But that kind of allows them to be like schlubby people and not be coming up with these major crimes. So they're just like dudes. And in this book, for some reason, like, you know, Peter expresses, I get it. I get where these losers are coming from. And in my mind, they become just like people and not necessarily like threats. Although the threat is kind of turned up by the end of the issue, so I kind of appreciated just kind of spending time with all these guys as people. Like that Mirage can't guess which uh, Herald of Galactus Spider-Man fought is kind of charming.
2: Yes, and of course, like you know, I, I did get that question right, Dan, and uh, <laughs> I like that they. <laughs> I would. Hope I, so. I like that they went back to. Uh, I mean, isn't that one of the stories that Danslot hates reportedly? Like the that, that Spider Man beat Fire Lord or something? Wasn't that a um wasn't that like notably something that was out there in the public uh venue?
0: Yeah, I believe so. I think we've talked about that before. I, I forget where it came from, but I think I think it is something that has been noted. Uh I think maybe even Ron Friends brought it up or something like that. Yeah. So I mean
2: it's again, you gotta be wondering, is like Spencer kinda nodding at that the story behind the story in bringing that up here right i mean
0: <laughs> maybe i i don't know i mean like it could be a favorite of spencer's too i mean it's a favorite of mine that's right
2: i think it's a favorite of a lot of people's but like it's it's you know why why bring that one up in this circumstance it's it's interesting to me so you know now that i think he's trying to like stick it to dad's slot just the opposite i think like you know, again, and kind of demonstrating the passing of the torch, like what better way to kind of show, well, I'm going to like go deep cut and be nerdy about Spider-Man. But before I get totally nerdy, I want to bring up this story that I know pisses off to Ed Slott, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's entirely yeah. possible. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, they were all fun things. And like, uh, you know, the the Earth Papers reference didn't jump out to me immediately. Like I was like, I know I know that. You know, having reread, you know, Spectacular relatively recently, you know, it was fun to kind of go, oh, yeah, that was from the, you know, the White Tiger storyline, um, you know, it, that kind of open Spectacular. Um, I don't love that story, but, you know, it's definitely one that I've read many times over. Definitely. Do we want to talk about Ramos'
2: art on this issue at all? I mean, it, it – The scenes in the bar were fun looking, and there's a lot of detail going on. But I mean, certainly, like from a Spider-Man element, as you mentioned in the beginning of the uh, the review, there wasn't a lot of action going on in this story.
0: I've always liked, I think Ramos's characters out of costume more than in. He does both well. Like, but um, I think his Peter Parker is one of the more expressive versions of the character. I like his design. Uh, You know, for that character, and I think Ramos has kind of been bouncing all over the place in Marvel, but truly Spider-Man is where he belongs if given the right story, and I think this is the absolute perfect story for Ramos to tackle, which is like crazy designed villains, Peter Parker making goofy faces and more comical tone, you know, between him and Otley, I really feel like Peter has become... Alive as a character in a way that he's kind of not been for you know a, a while. Like I really feel connected to Peter and his kind of broad emotional range in, in a way that I I haven't. Like I said, um, and I think Ramos was absolutely appropriate for this.
2: Awesome. Anything else you want to say about this issue, Dan?
0: Not really. I had a ton of fun with it, and uh, I'm looking forward to the next one. I wish the tease was a little bit stronger, right? Like, what is Kingpin promising? To everybody, there seems to be something like the threat of these villains does not necessarily hook me, although I don't know how Peter gets out of it because he can't necessarily just turn on his spider powers right now. Um, so that'll be interesting to see, but uh, it would be nice to know. I guess we'll find out what Kingpin is promising everybody. Yeah.
2: And wasn't there even something in Daredevil where Kingpin's not mayor now? Like, like I'm always wondering about the continuity of this story if it was in conflict with other stuff going on. I thought someone mentioned that to me.
0: Yeah, I I think that that story wrapped itself up, but I'm not entirely sure. So, you know, I guess it's better that we're getting this story done with now where it seems like Kingpin has a major influence in it. So, you know, the sliding timeline stuff, stories within stories within stories in Marvel Universe. All right. Well, how about a grade? Yeah, I'm gonna give this one a B plus. I thought it was a lot of fun.
2: I'm right there with you. B plus on this one. It was a lot of fun. Probably the m- the most fun issue that we've had so far this run.
0: Yeah, agreed. So we are kind of like forgetting. Maybe we're burying the lead uh-huh. here a little bit. Is that um, you know, we got another annual, which of course I can't not talk about, but I actually <laughs> kind of don't want to talk about this one very much because it probably gives you a ton of. Uh, of ammo for, for your the, argument. Of the, of Although the, now other that we both the Well, I did like that they legacy numbered at
2: number 44. So if it, if it's 44, does that include the uh, the Planet of the
0: Symbiotes one one off? or? <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to go back and check that out again. Because here's the really other baffling thing is this is the second annual this year.
2: <laughs> My goodness.
0: We just got the one with Ned Leeds. Remember yep, that one? That's right. That's right. That was just a few months ago. So, like, it's a new volume. So, we got a new number one annual, which is, I think, like the third number one annual in a row. Right. Um, which is also strange. But again, it's not even annual now, it's like biannual.
2: Uh, but, the, again, there's 44 of them, and Spider-Man's been in publication since 1963. Amazing Spider-Man has, at least. So, I mean, do some math, Dan. Come on.
0: <laughs> Look, I, I'm crying foul on this yeah. one. I, I, like, I, I'll be honest. Like, regardless of the story, I'm crying foul on how annuals are being handled. So, Mark, I don't know. Can I just say this out of, out of the bat? You know, this is Saladin Ahmed doing the writing, and I loved – his Black Bolt book. It won an Eisner. It's great. If you haven't read it, go read it. It's like 18 issues of awesomeness. But to me, this seems clearly like an inventory story or a tryout book for him on Spider-Man characters before he was handed Miles Morales. Like, why else will we get this kind of timeless Spider-Man story? Maybe to tie in with Venom was the kind of thought, but it seems very like nobody needed this Issue necessarily?
2: Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, it's like you said. There's a Venom movie. It's the 30th anniversary of um, of Venom, right? Am I? Uh, yes, yeah, because 1988. But really, wasn't a Venom story. It was a Symbiote story. Which, uh, yeah, yeah, this is quite random, very inventory-ish, um, and not even necessarily something from the inventory that I felt was a question that needed to be answered and maybe in some ways created more questions, which is bad. And I think you know exactly what I'm talking about in terms of some of the things that are depicted in this story. You know, but before we get into the nitty gritty of that, I mean, let me just say more briefly, like, more generally, like, you know, like, did we we really need to know, like... What is actually happening between, like, what was it, like, 253 and 254 uh, in terms of amazing Spider-Man history? I mean, like, who wants that story, Dan?
0: Somebody did. I mean, I've heard a lot of people really enjoyed this. And I don't think it's a bad comic. I just don't know that, like, there's a story being told here. It feels like it's just information being filled in. Like, what's the arc of this story? I guess it's about the symbiote trying to do good because it was influenced by Spider-Man and ultimately feeling betrayed at his hands. But that was all kind of subtext anyway. So, like, I don't know how much they needed it spelled out. And then it's one of those things, it's like, my feelings about the Solo movie that came out this year. It's like, if you're going to answer these questions that nobody was asking, you better have something really interesting to tell us. And what we're being told, and Mark, let's just jump right to it, is essentially that Spider-Man you know, without his consent is going around murdering people in New York City.
2: Yeah, which is like horrifying and certainly not something that was ever implicated. In fact, like I mean you could even if you really want to like read this deeply, I mean, when in Craven's last hunt, when Craven buries Spider Man and then assumes the identity, you know, he's he's being brutal with with, with criminals and like there's a shock that, oh, my goodness, like, Spider-Man has gone rogue, that he's just being so brutal with, the with, with like, petty street thugs. And that is essentially, that idea, that shock from that is negated here if Spider-Man's actually killing people in his black costume. You know what I mean? So, like, it just kind of flies against established continuity. Um, but even further, like, like, I don't even want to think about the fact, like, like, we have, I feel like there's too many instances as is where, like, we talk about Peter—Spider-Man doesn't kill, but yet, you know, there's Charlemagne. And, and there are other moments where the line got crossed and, you know, maybe it was kind of a writer trying to push the envelope a little bit and it shouldn't because, you know, but, like, at the end of the day—
0: Are you referring directly to Menace?
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, well, Menace was under Otto, but you know what I mean? But I'm just saying, like, there, there are moments with Peter as Peter where— you know, like, he accidentally, like... Oh, what is it, like, Gog or something? He, like, kills Gog by accident or something like that. And, and you know, so, like, there... Are, I, I've had, like, I've had legitimate arguments with people on the internet, which is, you know, never a good place to have arguments with people, Dan, uh, about the, the Spider-Man kill thing. Like, well, but he has technically killed, so you can't say he doesn't kill. And it's like, yeah, but it's unintentional. Yes, but he's killed. So, like, to kind of, like, have something like this out there, like, not only... Has he killed, but, like, it's kind of been very faceless in how he's killed? Like, like I just, that's a turn for the character that I, I just, I don't think anybody in their right mind really wants to go down that rabbit hole, you know? Like, like what does that actually mean then, you know? like, I, and, and this comic doesn't even really attempt to answer it either, which makes it even more kind of reckless in doing it, I think.
0: Yeah, it just kind of puts it out there. Like, now deal with this. There's a guy whose face got crushed. By Spider-Man. Like, it's not even like he, like, accidentally killed someone or something. It's, it's a pretty brutal, intentional murder. You know? Like, it's it's pretty pretty rough. So, yeah. I mean, I don't really know what else to say about this. I didn't find the art really to be that attractive. It's interesting in, like, a Bill Sienkiewicz right. kind of way. But, like, if you're going to bring Mary Jane in and have her do fa- her face at tiger moment... She better look good at the very least, but here she's like repulsive. Right. Yeah. Like you know, it's it's the it's the if Steve Ditko drew Mary Jane appearing at the door moment. Right. You know, it's like oh geez, like what's wrong with you? What happened, Mary Jane? And, that, and the other thing for me is just like, I'm kind of tired of Venom. I guess that his movie is coming out, but like we have like, you know, Venom first host and you know Venom and Venom. Right. Like, look, Venom is great. Let Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman do their thing. Like, I don't need more Venom books. Like, I don't need Venomized. It's just all too much. Like, this is exactly what killed the character back when he was first introduced.
2: Right. I mean, I was going to say, yeah, I'm sick of Venom, but specifically I'm sick of this Venom. I'm sick of 80s Venom. Like, let's just move on, man. Like, like... I love what Donnie Cates and Stegman are doing because it's just so out there and different. Like that's not what I expect. It's kind of why I loved what Jerry Conway was doing with Carnage. It was just so different from what we normally got. And it's like, you know, if we're gonna keep going back to the well with these characters, like let's let's do something different about it. Like 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 constantly pretending in terms of Venom that it's nineteen eighty eight or nineteen eighty six when the symbiote was introduced or eighty-five, whatever like, like, I'm tired of like having to go back to the past on these stories. Like, let's just go forward. Let's keep looking forward. Like, I never in a thousand years needed a a story that took place between two issues of Amazing Spider-Man from 1985. You know, <laughs> like, 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 let's tell new stories. You know, like, it, these are not new stories. These are these are just kind of like, you know. It's a it's a completed portrait and someone is deciding to put another coat of paint on it. And it's just – who cares? Like, like let's tell new stories. That's where it boils down to. You could tell 50 new Venom stories a month. If they're all new and different and really radical, I might be into it. But like if we're going to tell Venom stories that are just constantly
0: going back to the beginning, I don't want them anymore. I feel a little bit like that. But I also feel like at the end of this issue, it teases – you know, Venom being Spider-Man's foe. And like, what am I supposed to do with that information? Am I supposed to go like, oh, great. Now I want to read a book where Venom is Spider-Man's foe, but that character doesn't exist at Marvel anymore, unfortunately. Like, like you're saying, I don't like, let's not look back, but like, I would still love to see a Venom versus Spider-Man story. That's actually about like that you know, like the, the old classic interpretation of the character, but that's not being offered to me. So the tease at the end of this is like, go read our old library of books, which is fine. There's going to be people that haven't read that and they should go read that because early Venom stories were awesome. But like at the same time, I'm like, here I am a guy that wants to read Spider-Man versus Venom stories and you can whet my appetite with this. But, I, you know, I it's like give me something new and, and modern and present where they actually are foes. You know, like uh, I would love to read that. too. Yeah,
2: I I see what you're saying. I mean, I, I guess like for me, it's just like I always appreciate when the powers that be at Marvel kind of like push back against fans when they introduce a new status quo shift that people don't like and saying, well, it's comics. The only the only constant is change. And yet I feel like with some of these properties that have more of a cult following they are so resistant to change <laughs> it's like you know we gotta just keep telling the same kinds of Venom stories you know like or we gotta just keep going back to to Secret Wars and and the and Falco friends and McFarlane Michelini when it comes to this stuff and it's like, like my attitude is like I can go back in time and read those original stories anytime I want we have so many ways of doing it why do you need to like make me pay five dollars to read another version of it i don't know i i just it's frustrating to me
0: i found this frustrating because we had a really great annual just earlier in the year that showed what the format can actually do well right and to me this is like it, it's every other year or not in this case because we're getting them within the same year but it seems like every other issue either says we're going to do something with this format or we're going to not do something with this format right um so, I don't know, grades on this one? I'll give it a D+. Plus. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say C-. Minus. Right. It, was, it was not hot.
2: Yeah. I, I wouldn't go out of my way for it. But I guess if you, if you really like that period of time and you just want a little extra uh, splash of color to your DeFalco friends uh, reading, you can read this, this comic.
0: I know people that really like this. So, like, if you did really like this, again, I would point people towards Black Bolt. Because I think that's actually a great book that really shows off what this writer is capable of.
2: So you're telling me, Dan, that we're going to have some Patreon listeners saying, I really like your show, but you're wrong.
0: (laughs) It it, it might happen, Mark. I'm I'm warning you right now.
2: All right. Fair enough. (laughs) Dan, thanks to our patrons on Patreon, we got that awesome review. But fear not, listeners at home. There's more where that came from. So without further ado, let's get into our review of Amazing Spider-Man number seven. We are here talking Amazing Spider-Man number seven, or for all you legacy kids out there, that's Amazing Spider-Man number eight hundred eight, and that's uh, by Nick Spencer and Umberto Ramos on art again. And, and Dan, I mean, it's the the second part of this fun little side arc involving Spider-Man and Boomerang, and and the fun continues, right?
0: Yeah, this was a lot of fun. I had a great time reading this one.
2: Um, I mean it's, it's not a totally in-depth issue but you know, we have some good character moments and it, it, there's just a general appreciation here of all things Spider-Man and it just feels like – it just feels right. I don't know how else to put it but it just feels right. Like this is – the last few issues are really kind of cinching that this is the way that this book should have gone post Dan Slott and I'm, I'm very happy that these are the kinds of stories we're getting right now.
0: Yeah, you know, it's it, there's so much sincere, earned, char- you know, character moments in this. You know, it's it's reverential to history, but not a slave to it. And mostly, it just really gets Peter and his supporting cast really well. I mean, we've had problems with some characterizations in the past, but here we we basically are adding a character in earnest to the supporting cast in a big way, and that's Boomerang. And he fits right in, and this is what Spider-Man comics should be. I mean, we're not really getting any Spider-Man per se in this issue, but we're getting Peter and supporting cast, and to me, that's what Spider-Man is all about. Yeah,
2: I mean, and and we're getting some layers of death with uh, good old Fred Myers here. I mean, you know, I I I gotta admit, I'm reading this issue, and I keep like waiting for the rug to be pulled out from underneath me in terms of um, Fred's arc in terms of his character development and it seems to be kind of sincere like like you know he's not necessarily a hero he's a schmuck but he's kind of a lovable schmuck which is what he was in superior foes but like now it's more closer to the side of good i guess (laughs) i don't know i mean how would you how would you define it
0: yeah i agree with that completely i I couldn't have put it better myself it's like you can't trust this guy because he's boomerang. You just inherently cannot trust him. So even at his most sincere, which he seems to be by the end of the issue, right? Like all of his cards have been turned over. He's just kind of a guy looking for a friend. And that's what he's going to get out of Peter, uh, kind of begrudgingly at the very least from Peter. But I can't help but think you know, there's another there's another card to be turned over. And I think at least to me it seems that is in the form of whatever this object is that he stole that the Kingpin once so badly there's still something dangling out there that we haven't had fully resolved.
2: Absolutely. And you know, we we've certainly seen this character dynamic even recently with Spider-Man like whether it be Spider-Man Deadpool or or just kind of like this odd couple but I don't know, Dan. I mean, like, like I'm I'm the most sold on this one. Like, this is a relationship. The Peter-Fred Myers, you know, I'm just looking for for a homie kind of a, a relationship. I, I, I'm more into it than, like, what we've seen. Certainly, I, I mean, full disclosure, I dropped Spider-Man Deadpool from my Polis recently because I just couldn't deal with it anymore. It was just so monotonous and stupid, for lack of a better word. And this is far more interesting to me because, like, I feel like this is a character. This being Boomerang, that there's far more interesting places for him to go, and we haven't we haven't seen exactly this yet. And I I like the potential there because you know, not that I need to see Boomerang be a good guy, but like, just that questionable kind of shady character in Peter's life, and Peter kind of, you know, despite his base instincts giving into it in a weird way you know
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely uh you know when we first saw the solicits and read the kind of free comic book day issue and the big twist was the boomerang was peter parker's roommate i think you and i both wondered is that the big hook to the nick spencer run is that really going to be enough to kind of like match wits with like a superior spider-man or any of these other kind of big hooks we've had and we kind of expressed some doubt, but I'm kind of here to say that actually I think it is. Like, it's really simple, and it's, you know, a, a really compelling character. And at the end of the day, that beats out any kind of big histrionics and, and crazy ideas. I mean, I'm not turning every page in excitement as like I was during Superior Spider-Man. But, like, to me, like, I, I'm sold on, like, this isn't, you know... Nick Spencer's thing right like Boomerang is his thing and that's what he's Bringing or at least all that Boomerang Represents is like Compelling interesting character Interactions between Peter And, and, other, and other people
2: Yeah I mean I think the book is just Writing steadier Than it did in the in its Previous iteration and, and that's There's something to be said about that I mean there's there's also As you mentioned in the beginning Dan I mean like there's just far more, like, more nuanced focus on Peter vis-a-vis the supporting cast, which we just didn't get uh, earlier. And, like, you know, when I always think back to the glory days of this book, like, I, I mean, I yeah, I think of Spider-Man in costume fighting the likes of Doc Ock or Rhino or Green Goblin, but then I'm thinking about like scenes in the Daily Bugle or In This Apartment or, or you know, with MJ or Gwen or Harry and, and this Nick Nick Spencer seems to just be going back to those days. There's there's definitely like an old school kind of vibe to it, but, but also in kind of keeping up with modern times, I mean there's there's just a new spin on it in, in, in new relationships. I mean we can't just keep going back to the well with the same characters. So you know, you bring in a Fred Myers or a Randy, or you know, I'm sure there's going to be more to come. And and, and it, it's just good to be seeing these sides of these characters again, albeit in an old school way, but like in with with a fresh coat of paint. I think that's the best way to put it.
0: Yeah, for me, a kind of like highlight of this kind of attitude was when you know Peter invites uh, Fred to join Randy and him for Upright Citizens Brigade improv classes and it's like oh my god Peter actually has a life you know like outside of this where he does things with people and while I think Dan Slott went out on a real high you know his book got you know steadily better in the final you know dozen or so issues there was never any hint that Peter was a guy under the Spider-Man costume in those issues like it was very much Spider-Man and his world and you get a lot of that here, but at the heart of it is this like one long scene between Peter and Fred where they're kind of like putting their emotions out on the table and he's being kind to someone. And I can't think of the last time we had like a scene that took this many pages of just two people kind of talking and being emotionally open with each other. It's been a very long time. Yeah, and as a an native
2: New Yorker, let me say I love the ups, upright citizens' brigade reference. I mean, like you said, it's 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 a more subtle detail of someone who I think is paying attention to what would characters who have these kind of emotions, who have these kind of interests, what would they be doing in New York, and like it's just a small detail and i, I mean i know dan slot lives in new york so i don't want to I, I mean look i don't want to like just like compare and contrast everything between dan Slott and Nick Spencer, but it's like it's just like these are like the little details that i feel like spencer is glomming on to that give this book a certain authenticity that might have been missing in recent years um in terms of just Peter as a character, his sporting cast as characters, New York as a character. It's just great to see. It's, it's, it's great to get those kind of references and maybe if you're not from New York, it went over your head. But like, like I said, as someone who's been in this area for his entire life, I was like, oh, that's fun. That's a fun little like nod. I, I enjoy that. <laughs> you know, like um, it's almost as good as on in the Museum of Natural History in terms of uh, cultural references.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, almost as <is> good. Right, <laughs> is the key word. Um, you know, you're you're absolutely right. But I, not even comparing it to Dan Slott, comparing it to earlier Nick Spencer on this run. I've really enjoyed these past two issues. Head. They've kind of dropped all the artifice. Of his first storyline. There's no complicated Peter narrating things. The timeline is fairly straightforward. I'm not having to kind of like piece it all together. Who's doing what. There's no long montages. It kind of plays out in real time. As much as a comic can play out in real time. Um, For me, like that made the story a lot simpler and more resonant. Than the last story that we kind of were mixed on, yeah. Um, because it's just kind of living in these moments, and I, I hope that Nick Spencer kind of, you know, lives in this space a little bit longer, because I vastly prefer this writing style than the writing style from the first story. Yeah,
2: you know, one of the things in this issue, and, and it was kind of the highlight of the last issue of this arc as well, was obviously not only did we get references to Superior Foes of Spider-Man, I mean we actually got a reunion of the Nick Spencer Steve Lieber creative team for a couple pages and we got the same here which I think was kind of hinted was going to be the case but I guess if we're going to talk about the rug being pulled out from under us we we did learn in this issue that all these interactions with Boomerang and his old gang of five uh, Speed Demon and uh, the Beetle and all that were, were actually – it was interactions with LMDs, life model decoys. Was that a little bit of a letdown for you, Dan? I mean did you feel that was kind of a bad bait and switch?
0: I don't know if it was a bad bait and switch. I mean it's boomerang, so a bait and switch probably was in the making. you know. But uh, I certainly couldn't have foreseen that and it, I don't know if it was bad, but I, I have to say I'm a little let down because I was so – Looking forward to these characters coming back in a in a major way. And maybe they still will, you know. Um, but it was kind of disappointing to go, oh, they aren't really keeping up with Boomerang. But I guess if you brought all those guys back, you would ultimately, like, just be kind of, like, lo- probably lose yourself in that world. Uh, and that was a very different book. And we should just probably let it be. But... You know, a very funny kind of reversal moment with Boomerang crying on the shoulders (laughs) of Speed Demon. (laughs) Kind of wonderful. Um, But then it makes you ask the question, you know, we first asked, did Superior Foes happen because Boomerang was recounting it to Spider-Man and he – or to Peter Parker. And then here he seems to – he's recounting – like, you know, he's telling another story, you know, like – he says they were life model decoys. Can we believe him? Uh, like, like, how much can you believe this guy as a narrator? Like, did did any of this actually happen? Like, I, I can't even tell you.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's totally you know, for those of you who have read or seen the movie Fight Club. It's, it's that character. I mean, like, you just cannot trust that character and the narration at all. I mean, you, you, we don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, I mean, maybe Boomerang is Tyler Durgan. I just don't know, Dan. And uh, I think that's kind of the fun of it right now. But um, I will admit, on, on the surface, if if we are to believe what we read, um, which was that these were life model decoys and not the actual characters. I was kind of like, ah, oh, you know, it was it was kind of sad, <laughs> like that he's interacting <laughs> with LMDs and not the real article, the genuine article. But like also like like you said, I mean, Superior Foes has been kind of this weird, like as much as we've loved it, does, does it actually count in terms of of continuity? Because you know, I mean, we even had a reference to Shocker here about having to go take care
0: of his uh, uh, robotic he- head. <laughs> Which is weird for an LMD to say. Yeah, because right. Because he's got a robotic head. Exactly.
2: So, I mean, it's it's just all so out there and bizarre. But, you know, it, it, it would have been very comforting to think that, that this universe was still kind of continuing – and moving forward in some way. And this seems to kind of suggest that it's not uh, in terms of how, you know, if we were to take it at face value. So, I mean, it remains to be seen. We will see, but um, certainly in the interim, it was great to see in the last two issues, this little short term reunion. Uh, I hope it's not the last.
0: (laughs) So let's talk about like kind of the, the main kind of thrust of this issue, which is like Peter and boomerang Fighting their way out of the bar with no name. I mean, there's not really that much that happens. It's kind of a good excuse for a good action scene, and Peter's got to fake knowing how to use a gun, right? Uh, in some ways, but like one of the things that really struck me about this that I really liked was that it seems to me like Spencer's found the perfect balance between how you do a kind of Spider-Man team up in the pages of a Spider-Man comic. Where you don't gonna kind of lose Peter. What I liked about this was Peter was powerless essentially. But he still was kind of the hero of the scenario. He, you know, pretends to be the liar. And gets himself out of his own problems. Rather than kind of relying on someone else to do it. I mean, sure, Boomerang is throwing his sonic boomerangs. And ult- ultimately uses a bomberang. Uh, but, you know, it was Peter. He was still given agency. Even in this story where he would kind of have to play backseat.
2: yeah i mean peter gets agency but i mean not for nothing boomerang gets a really good hero moment in this comic i mean whether or not it was actually needed is remains to be seen but like again it, it adds some depth to this character i mean it gives you the sense that maybe there is more to it here than just comedic hijinks and, and comic relief you know when he kind of Pulls Peter away from a possible was it the Scorcher who almost gets him in this one I think or um, I'm trying to think which kind of lame ass villain almost got Peter here.
0: <laughs> it was the Scorcher, and I, I kind of want to talk about that moment because it's one that Spencer has kind of already used. Right in Amazing Spider-Man number five, you've got the reference to Captain Stacy where Peter dives and saves Spider-Man you know, from being crushed by the Tri-Sentinel or whatever it was, the blast or whatever it was. And ends up, you know, nearly dying. And he says, look out, right? That's what Captain Stacy shouts when he's saving that child. And here you've got it again, uh, Boomerang shouting, look out, and diving in exactly the same way to save Peter. And, you know, maybe it's him reusing a beat, but I don't really feel like a lot of this stuff is by accident. You know, it seems to me like either Spencer's a huge fan of the Captain Stacy death, Amazing Spider-Man number 90, or he's setting up some kind of reoccurring thematic motif of people saving each other heroically while shouting, look out. Now, I don't know where ultimately that's headed, but it does in some way set Boomerang up to be a hero in the same vein as Peter. That Peter did this action and Captain Stacy did this action and, and now Boomerang is doing it, at least says that like deep down, you know, he's he's willing to sacrifice himself also in a way that Dr. Octopus could not.
2: That's true. And yet... You know, we we get a great little comedic moment where when he does use the bomberang where it's kind of like, well, why didn't you just do that in the first place? Well, I really liked the bar. I mean, you know, like it's 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 such a it's such a fun little character moment of like he he had the trump card the whole time, but he chose not to use it because he still has this affinity towards this otherwise kind of second rate bad place. <laughs> um, I, 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 I I just enjoyed that kind of like back and forth between Fred and Peter there in terms of like, well, you know, couldn't you have just done that in the beginning? Well, no, because he's not,
0: he's not a true hero, Dan. You know, <laughs> he's still boomerang. <laughs> um, I really liked kind of the ultimate payoff of all, all of this is that you know, Peter recalls, you know, everybody's giving me a second chance. You know, whether it was in the birth of Spider Man or Aunt May forgiving him or Mary Jane coming back to him, he feels like he needs to pass on a second chance to someone else. And maybe it's the wrong person to pass it on to. But I'm glad that we're still we're not leaving those stories behind. You know, like those are still things that actively happened and Spencer realizes that like Giving us an issue or two of that is, is not really enough. I mean, I'd still like to spend more time on the Mary Jane thing in a, in me, a meaningful way. But at least it gets a call out here, you know, in, in some regard.
2: Absolutely. Do we want to talk about the big kingpin and devilish character thing going
0: on here? How could we not? Like the back half of this comic is all about this. It's a, it's, it's a significant page count spent on on this moment.
2: Yeah, certainly the most we've gotten of this new, we think, villain that is, is interfering uh, in, in what seems to be Spider-Man or Peter's life so far. Um, I mean, I don't know. My ultimate takeaway from this interaction between Kingpin and this character was like, I mean, yet again, we're we're really trying to establish this character as a threat. You know, he kind of comes in the way he did in the previous issues where he's just wreaking havoc and killing people indiscriminately. Um, But the fact that like it basically ends with Kingpin on, you know, kissing the ring, so to speak of this character, Uh, you know, Kingpin certainly is not one to submit easily. So, I mean, you could say he's made a deal with this character or whatever, but like the fact of the matter is like it's, it's a show of dominance that we don't normally see, uh, related to the kingpin, so again, like this character has to have some extreme power—not just physical power, but you know, bigger than physical power. So it, 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 there, there's that going on. But like, you know, Dan, I don't, I don't want to be a spoiled sport, but like, I'm also kind of like starting to get a little impatient with this this subplot because I want to know. I, I I need more now. Like, it's like okay, so like he's strong and he's powerful, and there's. There's, there seems to be some kind of clear connection to the underworld and Mephisto. But what else is going on here? Who is this character? We need more than just what's my name, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I, My big thing is I want him to interact with Peter or Spider-Man in some way. You know, like now that we've set up that he's going behind the scenes and he's messing with all of these villains, which is the same thing that Craven seems to be doing. You know, let's see – him do something really personal to peter you know let let's see him make an action you know that that's gonna play off or let's leave him alone for a little while and come back in like six issues and then deal with it you know like let stuff simmer let us worry about him you know throw a couple of cockroaches in a scene you know and 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 let us you can't, it, it's the same. The problem is, it's the same tease, I think, right? Yeah. Because the, the clues that we're getting are like pretty much lead us down the same road. You know, it's like, guess what my name is? I'm going to say the word devil half a dozen times, and uh, we're going to make references to bringing people back from the dead or outright say that you bring people back from the dead. Right. And and setting up that there's some kind of rules system.
2: Yeah, rule, rules and guidelines and deals with deals with the devil. Although we don't say devil here, but it, there is definitely seems to be a, a a barter and exchange program going on with this character, and and that's all well and good. I mean, Dan. Personally, I just don't see how this is not related to Mephisto in some kind of tangible way. Whether this is Mephisto himself, or a henchman, or 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 some kind of new character that's related to Mephisto. I mean, but like, I I am not. I I just can't budge off that. I mean, it, the the cards seem to be too much in that favor, going all the way back to the first issue of this reboot where Peter and Mary Jane got back together, defying the deal that was made with Mephisto. I don't know. I mean, that doesn't seem very creative of me, but I mean, do you have anything more out there than that right now in terms of it's somewhat Mephisto related?
0: <laughs> no, I, I kind of want to recant my whole thing about the, obviously my very strange guess about the the character being some kind of amalgamation of Peter and MJ's wedding right. or, or marriage. Although I still feel like whatever's happening now is is ultimately connected to the two of them getting back together. Agreed. There, it, I think that's the spark that is starting this thing and making it so personal. Um, and I think we get a couple clues as to that in this issue. Um, and I think the big clues we get are – is that this character says – and we need to come up with you – We know, you know what? We do have a name for this character. Oh, yeah. What was that again? I, I – I, <laughs> The, we I asked a bunch of our listeners for uh, a name for this character and someone said, it's like Spider-Man's Hush. And then another person said, we should call him Shush.
2: All right. Shush. We got it.
0: Shush is the name. All right. Shush is the name. OK.
2: I like it. I like it.
0: And mum's the word about Shush, OK? <laughs> and his identity. Right. So Shush says – uh, boy, this is going to be tongue tying. <laughs> uh, it's been a while. Seems like you only call when you need something to Fisk and his employees. You know, so like that sounds like the devil to me. You know, like if you need something, you call God or Satan, right? I mean, that's right. how it works out. And it's interesting because Fisk warns his employees to get out of the room, which means Fisk has dealt with this guy before. And knows just how substantial his power set is, you know. So, I mean, I can't really think of anyone that Fisk has dealt with before. Maybe the Hand, in in some regard.
2: Um, yeah, yeah, That would
0: probably be the closest thing to the underworld that like Fisk has ever dealt with, right?
2: Yeah, I I, I don't I don't remember there being a, a Fisk Mephisto story from Daredevil, but I mean. I have some gaps in Daredevil reading, so I don't want to. I don't want But I mean, he certainly has dealt with the hand a bunch, so uh, that would make more sense.
0: Wasn't there a hand, the hand character from um, the Mark Wade Daredevil run that was in some way demonic, that wore yeah. like a, like an orange hood like this? Yeah,
2: I mean, it's different than that, but yeah, I mean, I, I forget the name of the character, but that was like. I think it was like Daredevil twenty five in the in that Mark Wade um, Chris Samney run that he appeared and he was kind of everything that Daredevil was and worse, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I mean, it was a great it was a great beat, but um, yeah, I, I, it it just remains to be seen. I mean, but but yeah, I, I, again, it, 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 if if we're gonna deal, if we're gonna take. Kingpin history, it would definitely be more hand related than than strict total Mephisto slash underworld related. But I I I don't think this is to me the hand would be a letdown because it's like that that the hand is not Spider Man. You know what I mean? Like I mean it, the hand has appeared in Spider Man, but like Mephisto Mephisto makes sense given where we where we're at right now, the twists that we've had in the story recently, and and kind of where we're going with it. Um, it's just exactly what we're related to. I still don't think your theory, Dan, is that off base. Um, I just think maybe how we're ma- how it's manifesting might be not exactly what you said it was. But I, I, I am not giving up on that idea yet. That okay? This is like some- yeah, I, I, I like what you came up with, and I, I, I'm, I'm kind of just waiting this out a bit more.
0: Okay, well then I will hold off a little bit more too. I think the most interesting thing about this whole sequence is that Vanessa Fisk shows up in that one image. And there's the implication that Fisk went to this person at Shush and offered Shush – I just like saying shush is really what it's coming <laughs> down to. And seems to have offered Shush all of his power and everything that he had to – what seemed to be a clear implication to bring Vanessa back from the dead, right? Was that how you read it?
2: Yes, yes.
0: Although, didn't we have that? Didn't we have that in um, "Dead No More"? We did, but he knew that he he knew that it was a clone or whatever, right? Right. He snap. Right. He snaps her neck. Yeah. Which you know, if this is going to be retcon to include that, that's kind of interesting. Like if. The, he had already been working with the devil to make this happen, and here comes the jackal offering it. You know, like here's Kingpin saying, "I know this isn't the real deal." You know, uh, like there's an interesting way to kind of retcon that uh, to make all of this like, or, or not even retcon, like just have this be the natural next extension. If there was some kind of deal that the Kingpin tried to make that we've not read in the pages of anywhere before. And I, I can't think of anything because the last time we saw Vanessa was in uh, an obscure uh, Savage Wolverine number eight <laughs> where she was brought back from the dead by the hand. But Fisk kills her because like he's like begging her to you know, not be evil or whatever soulless demon hand character and she looks like she's about to attack him and he kills her before she attacks him. But it ultimately turns out that she was just attacking someone behind him. You know, that classic, you know, someone's waving at you and you wave back, but then it's really the person behind you scenario.
2: It's a total o. Henry novel, uh, Dan. I mean, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, I mean, that's interesting to me. Is like, here's another deal involving like a loved one that this character seems to have reneged on meaning he could operate in that territory, which to me just further says it's Mephisto, you know, like even in this comic Fisk says, What the devil do you care about somebody when referring to Peter Parker? Like the word devil is in there for a reason. Like are we overthinking this? Like the Craven thing, you know? Uh Craven turned out to just be Craven. Is this just Mephisto? It's kind of where I'm at right now. I want to go back to the like the comic in its entirety and talk about <laughs> Herm- Humberto Ramos' uh, ah, yes. his work on the book artwork. What's that? <laughs> yeah, um, I think even starting from the cover, we're getting something really special here. Like, I love the detail on the cover that everybody is drinking beer and cocktails and alcohol of some kind, but there's Spider-Man drinking Roxanne soda, uh, <laughs> you know, because Peter doesn't drink. And I right. thought. You know what, uh, whoever suggested that, whether that be Spencer or Ramos or whatever, like that's a level of detail that shows like real heart is kind of going into, like someone really understands this character and is putting this together. What do you think about the art in this book? Yeah, no, I I enjoyed it
2: a lot. I mean, you know, it's it's funny. I, I, I tend to think that Ramos is at his best when it's these kind of like, Big blockbustery type of books, but then again, maybe I've only thought that because I, I best associate Ramos with Dan Slott, where that are big blockbustery kind of books. Um, but you know, I felt there was certainly a bunch of busy scenes going on here. But like, I thought the artwork was very clear uh, in terms of the action and, and what exactly was going on, which is sometimes something that I I, I don't always find to be the case with Ramos in terms of defining exactly what the action is, this is this was the opposite of that in a good way. Um, it, it was strong. I mean, like, I, I still want to see more of Otley. Like, I really liked having that kind of definitely fresh look on this book uh, and to k- kind of have Ramos here still kind of feels like a weird step back, like we're, we're, we're not ready to move into the future yet. But, like, this was very enjoyable all the same and I don't want to take anything away from that.
0: And I think tonally, Otley and Ramos' stuff is actually quite similar. I mean, they're very different stylists, but they both kind of operate in the same kind of, uh, you know, like uh, like shorthand characterizations. You know, it's not hyper-realistic. And, and they also kind of love to revel in kind of like the small, detailed grotesqueries of, of things. So, like, if this is our, you know, trading on and off art team... You know, I think it would be nice to get a fresh voice after Ramos has been on the book for so long. But you can't really deny that he's like an A-list Spider-Man artist at this point. And I think Otley is going to quickly cement himself there. And if, if there's a, we're going to maintain a strict tone on this book and we have to change artists. You could do a lot worse than this pairing.
2: Oh, yeah. No, no. no. I, again, I'm not taking anything away from it. I, I, I just meant that like – you know, it 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 was refreshing to see someone just completely different enter the fray for a while. So I, I'm looking forward to getting Otley back on this book. Um, but like you said, in the interim, you could do a lot worse than getting Ramos on this book. It it, it matches the tone, and, and Ramos is classic in terms of Spider-Man right now. And and I feel like this is good. This is very good Ramos work for Spider-Man. I think that also needs to be said. Like this is. You know, this is one. This is some of his better work, and, and um, including stuff out of the costume too, which is always an interesting catch for for Ramos.
0: Yeah, I thought that the staging of the Kingpin scene was really elegant. You know, like what even the final page with him kneeling in the spotlight. You know, uh, I think a lot of these creators are doing really cool things with Shush. You know, that they're really allowing him to kind of uh, lean into the more kind of abstract visualizations. You know, like Kingpin's office quickly disappears and we're in this black void. And I like that what this character has been able to do. I'm thinking of also the courtroom scene that Ramos drew. It's like he's leaning into allowing his scenes to kind of, you know, like trip into another kind of universe uh, whenever he can, you know.
2: All right. Well, do you want to get to grades?
0: Yeah, sure. I'm going to give this one the same as I did last issue, a B plus. I'm going to give it a B, which is not necessarily
2: a. I, I know I probably gave the last one a B plus, but I, I enjoyed it all the same. But I, I just kind of, I don't know, want to adjust the curve a little bit, Dan. But like, yeah, this was this was solid. This was good. I enjoyed it. I'm just going to say B for now because I want to be contrary.
0: And there was no Spider Man trivia in it. I mean, every issue should have Spider Man trivia. Or
2: or or swarm trivia, right? Or <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thanks to everybody at home for joining us for the, hopefully what was a fun review roundup episode of the all new Amazing Spider Talk. I loved these issues with Boomerang, uh, and I'm really eager to return to that storyline. Mark, if you enjoyed that episode, what can we expect in the future for the show? Well, Dan, after uh, much procrastination,
2: we'll be announcing our plans for season three of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk in a a short episode that's going to be coming shortly into your podcast feed. Uh, Dan, you and I cannot wait to get started on this new season, so be sure to keep your ears tuned in and your eyes open for what's to come.
0: Well, clearly we can wait a little bit to do it because we have delayed this, as you said. Although, you know, 2018 really seems like the year for Spider-Man. You know, there's just so much going on. We took this break, but really, did we ever take much of a break? Like, between, you know, the new movies and all that stuff, there's just so much going on.
2: Yeah, did people even notice that we were gone? Were we even truly gone, Dan?
0: If a tree falls in the podcast forest, did anybody hear it?
2: I don't know. I, I we'll have to, like, check Twitter, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed this week, where we already got a special review of the entire Nick Spencer run up through issue 10, and a roundup review of all of our various Spider-Get-In books. Uh, why wait to get caught up in a few months? Because if you just pay $3.99 a month now, the price of a new comic, you'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews, B-book reviews, extended interviews, mailbags, and more. And then for $10 or more enough, you'll get access to some awesome commissioned artwork, this time around from the none other than Steve Lieber.
0: Awesome. And, and, and on top of that, go check out our sister podcast, The Untold Talks of Spider-Man as they go talk about Spider-Man comics that celebrate the holidays. Mark, I think even you did something like this on your blog once.
2: Yes, I, I, I did talk about favorite holiday issues of Spider-Man, so uh, I'll have to tune in and see if uh, Matt and Kane are are, are are doing me proud, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, and also, everybody, please check out the amazing Spider Slack community that we've got for you to join, where everybody's just talking about Spider-Man and comics and life in general, it's a growing community, and it's a lot of fun to be a part of, and we want you to join us there. Uh, so speaking of joining us, Mark, if I wanted to follow you on the internet, where might I do so? Well,
2: uh, beyond hearing my wonderful voice here on this podcast, Dan, you can find uh, my wonderful written voice on uh, Twitter, at ChasingASMblog. And, of course, if you want to see my long-form voice in action, you can always buy my book, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, wherever books are sold. Hey, it's the holidays. If you haven't gotten it yet, buy yourself a gift or, or buy a friend a gift. I mean, come on. like just, just buy somebody this book, all right? Buy the book. Buy the book.
0: And if you're really popular, you could buy hundreds of friends' gifts.
2: Exactly, or rich. Uh, it's not even that expensive of a book, so you could just buy hundreds of friends, even if you're not rich. So,
0: or you could just send a check to Mark personally. Yeah,
2: I mean, I'll take it.
0: I mean, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, after subscribing
2: to our Patreon feed, of course.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's a that's a must.
2: Dan, what about you? Where can we find you?
0: You know, I'm I'm always on Twitter, uh, whether it's getting into fights with people <laughs> or talking about Spider-Man. I'm kind of there for it. Uh, so that's at Um And, you know, I kind of do my, every time there's a new issue, I break down the issue and do my own version of editor's notes. Because we haven't really gotten editor's notes in a little while, have we?
2: No, I don't think so.
0: Well, speaking of editorial notes, there's something that never needs to be told what it's a reference to, and that is our motto for the show. Mark, what is the motto?
2: That motto, of course, is, with great podcasts must also come, the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. Don't don't miss the next